It is the 2nd of June, and now we wait for the June bugs to arrive. Though last summer, I saw them in July. We humans share this planet with perhaps billions of other species, something I often forget as I go about my business. My name is Sean Tubbs, and my business is literally to bring you information about the region in which I and you live, in what's come to be known as Charlottesville Community Engagement. Thanks for listening, and I hope you learned something today. On today's installment, a look at the link between housing and transportation costs. Charlottesville City Council reviews possible changes to bus routes owned and operated by the Charlottesville Municipal Government. And new campaign finance reports are out for local races in Albemarle County and Charlottesville. Today's Patreon-fueled shout-out is for the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Campaign, an initiative that wants you to grow native plants in yards, farms, public spaces, and gardens in the Northern Piedmont. Native plants provide habitat, food sources for wildlife, ecosystem resiliency in the face of climate change, and clean water. Start at the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Facebook page and tell them that Lonnie Murray sent you. The latest campaign finance reports have been filed with the Virginia Department of Elections, as reported by the Virginia Public Access Project. Let's start with Albemarle first. Incumbent Jack Jewett District Supervisor Diantha McKeel raised an additional $6,522 during the period and spent $9, leaving her campaign with a balance of $32,056 as of May 27th. McKeel is a Democrat who currently faces no opposition on the November 2nd ballot for a third term. Incumbent Rio District Supervisor Ned Galloway raised $10,150 in the period, with $10,000 of that coming from a single corporate donor known as Seminole Trail Management LLC. Galloway spent $5 in the period and has a cash balance of $15,809. Galloway is a Democrat who currently has no opposition on the November 2nd ballot for a second term. Newcomer Jim Andrews raised $10,139 during the period, including a $5,000 contribution from John Grisham. Andrews spent $4,180 during the period, with the majority of that going to pay for his campaign manager, Patty Haling. Andrews has a balance of $30,507 as of May 27th. Andrews is running as a Democrat and currently faces no opposition on the November 2nd ballot. The winner of the race will succeed two-term incumbent Liz Palmer. In Charlottesville, Brian Pinkston reported $29,098 in contributions, including $7,325 in in in-kind contributions. That means someone or some business offered services or a product for campaign services. In-kind donations in Pinkston's report include $3,500 from LifeView Marketing LLC and $2,750 from Local Jurisdiction Consulting LLC. Pinkston also loaned himself $8,348 and raised $13,425 in cash. The candidate spent $29,763 during the period and had an ending balance of $24,074. Juan Diego Wade raised $13,126 during the period, 
all in cash. The top donor is the Realtors Political Action Campaign of Virginia with a $2,500 contribution. Wade spent $22,151 and had an ending balance of $32,626. Carl Brown raised significantly less money with $1,675. He spent $979 and had a balance of $720 as of May 27, 2021. Independent Yasmin Washington reported no money raised or spent and had no cash balance. The Virginia Public Access Project did not have any information for Charlottesville Mayor Nakia Walker, an independent who announced in late May that she would seek an additional term. The Democratic primary is on June 8th, and before then, we'll have a wrap-up of all of the campaign forums to date. For the first time, members of the public can register to receive emergency notifications via text from the University of Virginia. You can text UVA to 226787 to enroll in the program. The types of emergencies for which an alert would be issued include, but are not limited to, tornadoes, building fires, hazardous material releases, and violent incidents. Alerts are sent for emergencies in both the academic division and UVA Health. That's according to a press release about the information. Previously, the service was only available for people directly associated with UVA. At some point this year, we will know exactly how many people are believed to live in our communities when the U.S. Census is finally released. But projections from the Weldon Cooper Center at the University of Virginia, as well as their yearly estimates, depict a growing region. As the cost of housing in Charlottesville and Albemarle's urban ring continues to increase, many will choose or have already chosen to live in communities half an hour away or more. Data from the Census Bureau's American Community Survey shows the vast majority of people commute to work in Charlottesville in a single occupant vehicle. But does that have to be the case? In May, the Central Virginia Regional Housing Partnership held a panel discussion on the topic. For background, housing is considered to be affordable if rent or a mortgage payment makes up 30% or less of household expenditures. Households that pay more than that are considered stressed. Todd Littman is a founder and the executive director of the Victoria Transport Policy Institute. He said transportation costs also have to be factored in. It works out that a cheap house is not truly affordable if it has particularly high transportation costs. If if it's located in an area where people have to spend a lot of time and money traveling. A lot of uh, experts now recommend that instead of defining affordability as 30% of household budgets to housing, it's defined as 45% of household budgets devoted to housing and transportation combined. Lippman said transportation costs are more volatile for low-income households because of the unpredictability of fuel prices and maintenance and repair costs. Stephen Johnson, a planning manager with Jaunt, said the cost of time must also be factored in. If I can only afford to take public transit, but that means my commute to work is going to take five or ten times longer, and that's time that I'm losing to spend on other things. Johnson said people also can lose jobs if a transit connection does not work out. He said this community has public transit options, but they are not compelling. 
So when we put ourselves in the shoes of somebody who's deciding whether to take transit or drive, I think there's really four factors that one would consider. The first would be the financial cost. Second would be the time cost. Third would be reliability. Can I rely on getting there on time? And the fourth I think would be flexibility. Will my transportation allow me to make a last minute change to my schedule, to travel with a friend, to bring home a bunch of shopping, those kinds of things. Johnson said public transit is cheaper to use than driving, but the other three factors are more difficult. He said transit in the area could be reformed by greater investments and better planning. Uh, An Albemarle planner might come to me and say, hey, we've got this community. There's a lot of cul-de-sacs. There's a lot of houses, and we're really struggling with our congestion. Can you put a public transit Band-Aid on this and fix it? Now, in that case, the game board is already set, and there's only so much that we can do as a player. But I think if we expand our idea of what transit planning is and we think about things like density, so how can we take those A's and B's and cluster them together to make sure that when we put a bus out there, we're going to be able to cover a lot of trips. Lippman said a goal is to not necessarily encourage people to go car-free, but to work to create areas where more trips can be taken with a walk, a bike ride, or by getting on the bus. This was more common before the middle of the 20th century. So if you go back to the older neighborhoods, they're all very walkable. They have sidewalks on all the streets. Uh, You have uh, local schools and parks and stores that were designed. The, the The neighborhood was organized around the idea that at least some people will rely on walking. We lost that for a while. And now there's a a number of, you could say, planning movements or or approaches that are trying to reestablish that. Lippmann said developers and local governments should be working together to encourage more than just single-family housing. If you're building new neighborhoods, those that allow uh, what we call the missing middle or the compact housing types, townhouses and low-rise apartments um, are, are, are going to be far more affordable and therefore far more inclusive. But back to transit. Jaunt mostly provides on-demand service, but does have some fixed-route service. Johnson explained what works best in what situation. Fixed-route options are a much more appropriate public transit option for dense urban cores, Uh, And we see that in in downtown Charlottesville and uh, urban Albemarle County. Uh, The demand response is a much more appropriate technology for more rural areas. And that's the majority of John's service area are the counties surrounding Charlottesville and Albemarle. However, Johnson said transit in urban areas could be transformed if systems were to adopt on-demand tech that is now developing. Jaunt has been working on a pilot project to provide service to loaves and fishes on Lambs Road, a site not accessible via Charlottesville area transit. In this community, there are three transit systems. They are the Charlottesville area transit, the University of Virginia Transit Service, and Jaunt. In September, Bright will begin the Afton Express service between Stanton and Charlottesville. How do all of these many pieces come together? Here's Stephen Johnson yet again. Charlottesville and Albemarle are working together through the Regional Transit Partnership to try to to help build a cohesive vision there of how Jaunt and Charlottesville Area Transit and UTS can all work together to provide a a cohesive uh, transit system for for the residents of Charlottesville and Albemarle. 
You can view the entire video of this panel on the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission's YouTube page. And I'd love to know what it would take to get you on a bus. Up next, Charlottesville Area Transit updates City Council on upcoming service changes and the future. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and now it's time for another Substack-fueled public service announcement. The Central Library in downtown Charlottesville will host a summer reading kickoff from 10 a.m. to 12 noon this Saturday, the 5th of June. Readers of all ages can come by and learn about the Jefferson Madison Regional Library Summer Reading Program. While there, you can also enjoy music from the Charlottesville Municipal Band's Clarinet and Saxophone Ensembles. And the JMRL Friends of the Library will be hosting a $5 per bag pop-up book sale under the tent at the Central Library. All events are outside, so if it rains, the event will be canceled. Finally today, the city of Charlottesville is the sole owner and operator of Charlottesville Area Transit, and Albemarle County pays the city for service each year. Ridership on CAT has declined significantly in recent years. In 2013, ridership each year was at 2.4 million. By 2018, that had dropped to just over 2 million. Garland Williams has been director of CAT since August 2019, and previously served as Director of Planning and Scheduling for the Greater Richmond Transit Company. Near the beginning of the pandemic, the city hired Kimley Horn to review the system to recommend changes to make it more efficient on the other side. This is not designed to be um, a, a total revamp of our system. This was kind of a stopgap measure because, as you know, over the last six years, CAT has been uh, CAT's ridership has been declining precipitously. So what we're trying to do right now is uh, stop that, um, build a, a, a nice foundation, and then build from there. Williams said work on the local system is happening at the same time that the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission is working on planning for the long term. As part of the more immediate work, the Kinetics Transportation Group was directed to bring service to South First Street, bring service to the center at Belvedere, and to restore Sunday service post-pandemic. Jim Baker, with Kinetics Transportation, explains a couple more directives. And getting uh, more 30-minute or better service along some of the key corridors in, in, the, uh, in the city. Um, also, there was a few routes pre-COVID that were running at worse than 60-minute frequency, so we didn't want to have anything less than 60-minute frequencies. And then to get the trolley, which is such a key part of the CAT system, back to a 15-minute frequency. That was a route that service frequencies were reduced because of COVID. Routes will need to be changed in the short term to avoid the downtown transit center due to the eventual replacement of the Belmont Bridge. Under the proposal... Albemarle would pay for about 35% of the service. Route 2 would be split into two services, restoring buses to Piedmont Virginia Community College and extending service to Mill Creek Drive and Monticello High School. One of the routes will also travel down Avon Street Extended in both directions. That 
change will uh, make it easy to access the parking ride lot that's sitting right beside uh, CAT's headquarters. Uh, so it's another opportunity potentially to to use um, the, the route to, to um, um, for our employees, city employees, to get to and from downtown. Route 3 will also be split into two, with one half traveling from Southwood to downtown and the other serving downtown and Belmont. This second route would come within walking distance of the Broadway Street corridor in Albemarle County. We really wanted to get 30-minute all-day service on 5th Street, um, all the way down to um, Albemarle County's uh, office building and, and to, to this current end of line. Route 5 would be modified to travel between the UVA Hospital to Fashion Square Mall. Currently, the northern terminus is Walmart. Route 7 would be extended to the Rio Hill Shopping Center and the Walmart, but would no longer serve Stonefield. Service on Prospect Avenue would be moved from Route 6 to a new Route 8, which would now travel between Stonefield and the Willoughby Shopping Center via the UVA Hospital. We thought this would be an opportunity to create a new crosstown route from South Charlottesville uh, for residents um, on the south part of town to get up to the US 29 quarter without having to go through downtown and without having to make a transfer. Route 9 would be revamped to be another north-south service traveling between Fashion Square Mall and downtown via the YMCA in McIntyre Park. Service to UVA Hospital on this route would be dropped, as would service near Charlottesville High School. Route 10 would no longer serve Stony Point Road to save time, and Route 11 would serve the center at Belvedere. That extension to, to the center is a, um, an obligation that the city has to the center, so this answers that part of the agreement to provide public transportation. The route changes will have to be reviewed to see if there are any violations of what's known as Title VI, and there will need to be a public comment period. Williams said in the long term, CAT is also working on securing spaces at 5th Street Station for park and ride. Earlier in this work session from May 25th, council was briefed on the parking garage and the potential for park and ride lots. Williams said CAT is also working on securing spaces at 5th Street Station for park and ride, as well as using Route 9 to access empty spaces at Fashion Square Mall for that purpose. But we're also working with um, uh, Kimberly Horn and, and Ben Chambers has come on. We're looking at a, a longer term study where we're looking at potentially doing uh, some park and ride locations throughout the, the region, and especially up on 29. So. No decisions were made at the meeting, and there will be public engagement efforts in the very near future. And coming up in a future episode of this program, more on transit from the May 27th meeting of the Regional Transit Partnership. Stay tuned. And that's it for another installment, a moving around edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. I've been your host, Sean Tubbs, and I really thank you for listening. And I really thank everybody who has been able to subscribe versus Substack. I just wrote the invoice to Ting today, um, which is fantastic because it really is something that is additionally making a difference in terms of being able to bring you this program. Uh, I've been a journalist here for many years, and I see how a lot of the pieces fit together. And I see sometimes that not everybody uh, 
has all of the information. Uh, I certainly don't have all of the information, but every single day I now make it my business to go through it to try to bring it to you so that we can all make better decisions together. Uh, in a growing community such as this, uh, there's a need for that information, and that is what I am here to do. Uh, thanks again for listening. As I said, uh, I'll be back tomorrow with another installment, another wrap-up installment of trying to catch up on May, a very busy month. Uh, heading into what will hopefully be a not as busy summer. But if I know anything after years and years of covering things in this community, there is never a slow time. Stay safe out there.